How's everybody doing? Is still working okay? All right. It's great to have you with us here. We have a, a little TV set up so that we can see all of you as well, and it doesn't seem like we're just completely alone and doing this for a camera, but we get the sense that you are with us and that we're worshiping God together. We're going to continue to walk with Jesus this week and make our way with him from Galilee down to Jerusalem, listening along the way to the stories that he tells, stories that are meant to shape our imagination about what it means to live into the kingdom of God. We heard the story of the neighbor a couple weeks ago. And as Jesus became our neighbor, our eyes were opened to all those around us who need us to be a neighbor to them in love. Last week, we had the story of the barn builder. And we were invited to consider that our money, our things, even our lives themselves are not ours to do with as we please, but are on loan from God and are to be invested in God's kingdom. And this week, we come to the manure story. I'm amazed every week at how relevant these stories of Jesus still are, and this one's no different. As our world continues to devolve into violence, into shoutdowns and canceling and utter disregard for all those who disagree with us, Jesus in this story reveals all of that to be unholy impatience and calls us instead to the slow work of manure. So as we hear that story in just a moment, I want to invite you to pray with me. Lord, it's in your light that we see light. It's in your truth that we find freedom and in your way that we find peace. So Lord, come and shine upon us that we might see you and follow. In your name we pray. Amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book that we love. Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, but found none. He said to his gardener, Look, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree for three years and have never found any. Chop it down. Why should it continue to absorb and deplete the soil's nutrients? The gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year. I will dig around it and put manure on it, and maybe next year it will bear fruit. If not, then you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So on the surface this week, Jesus tells us a story about a man with a fig tree. A fig tree planted in a vineyard, not out in the wild somewhere, but in good soil where it's tended and cared for, protected in a vineyard. But the owner comes at the right time looking for fruit on its branches and finds nothing. It's the third year this fruit, this tree has been fruitless. So he goes to the gardener and says, angrily, it's time to cut down the tree. It's wasting the soil's nutrients 
and it needs to be removed. The gardener, though, urges a more patient approach and volunteers to cultivate the soil around the tree, to dig it up, add manure, fertilizer, and with the hopes that it will be taken up into the tree and that it will respond and maybe bear fruit next year. And so, in this more patient approach, giving the tree one more year to bear fruit. And if not, then to cut it down. The most obvious interpretation of this parable, given that it's spoken by Jesus, who's a Jew, to his followers and disciples who are Jews, and all of them are very familiar with the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, is that the fruitless fig tree is Israel. There's a long history of talking about Israel as God's choice planting. Sometimes that's a vine, sometimes it's mighty oak trees, sometimes it's figs. They were transplanted out of Egypt and planted in God's choice vineyard, the promised land, where God would protect them and care for them. And they were to grow up and stretch out over all the nations and bear fruit that would bless the world. But they often didn't. And right now they certainly weren't. This is Jesus' third year of ministry And he's on his way to Jerusalem, the center of the life and worship of God's people. And he's finding it again to be fruitless. Way back when Israel entered into the covenant with God at Mount Sinai under Moses, there were blessings and curses that came with the law. They were told that if they would keep God's ways, if they would follow God, God would bless them and they would live in the land for all time and they would grow and be bountiful. But if they didn't follow God's ways, they would be cut down. Is it time to cut down the tree? Jesus says no. Jesus says wait one more year. Let it alone. Let me dig around it and put fertilizer on it. Jesus calls for patient forbearance, for long-suffering mercy. Judgment will wait a little while longer while Jesus goes about the slow and tedious work of cultivating soil. And this is God's way with us. In 2 Peter 3, fast-forwarding into the New Testament, Peter is talking about the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment and justice when God will break in and make all things right. And he says, God is slow in coming, but not slow like we would think. God is being patient. God is waiting so that more can come to repentance. And that's wonderful news for us because we too are slow to bear the fruit that God requires of us. In that prayer for renewal just a little while ago, we heard from Galatians 5, we heard the call to bear the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of our selfish desires. And as we read that passage, I, and I'm sure you too, were convicted that I'm bearing the wrong kind of fruit. That if the judgment were to come today and I were judged purely based on the fruit on my branches, I deserve to be cut down. And so we praise God that God is not only just, but also gracious and merciful 
God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Christ comes with one more year of patient forbearance while he himself can till and fertilize the soil of our lives, nurturing us toward fruitfulness in the slow and sometimes agonizing work of sanctification. We are the fruitless trees, and Jesus is our patient gardener. But we can go another layer deeper into this parable together this morning. What would it look like if we imagined ourselves not just as the fruitless tree, but as the owner, the owner of the vineyard who comes to find the trees fruitless? We're the ones who've come to Jesus. We've received God's patient mercy. God has begun to work upon us with the manure of sanctification. It's working its way through our roots, and we feel the urgency of bearing fruit in this last year of forbearance. We're urged into action by all that we see is wrong in us and by all that we see is wrong out in the world. And so we press on to get to work. And now we come into the garden of the world and we find all these trees around us who are fruitless and wasting soil. And so we now begin to demand, chop them down. Maybe the barren fig tree is a fellow Christian who refuses to see things the way you do who doesn't seem to get the urgency of this task or who seems to spend all their time and energy bearing fruit you don't find particularly useful. You see what we're called to be doing. Why doesn't everyone else get it? Or maybe it's a brother or sister who's insulted or wronged you in some way and so you've cut them out of your life. Maybe it's someone you've even managed to extend three strikes to only to watch them exhaust each. Maybe it's someone you've chosen to just write off and discount and disregard completely. You've removed them from your emotional vineyard because they aren't worth the soil they were taking up. Maybe it's even a whole congregation or denomination that doesn't seem to get it, that isn't bearing fruit. And so you wonder why they're allowed to keep taking up space in God's vineyard. You know that I've been following along Eugene Peterson's book, Tell It Slant, as he walks through these same parables. He wrote this about this one. Much of the time, it's not complacency that threatens, but it's opposite, impetuosity. We see something that's wrong, whether in the world or in the church, and we fly into action, righting the wrong, confronting sin and wickedness, battling the enemy, and then we go out vigorously recruiting Christian soldiers. We solve kingdom problems by amputation. Internationally and historically, killing is the predominant method of choice to make the world a better place. It's the easiest, quickest, most efficient way by far to clear the ground for someone or something with more promise. The manure story interrupts our noisy and aggressive problem-solving mission, and in a quiet voice, the parable says, hold on, not so fast. Wait a minute. Give me more time. Let me put some manure on this tree. 
God is so frustratingly patient, right? We could have solved all the world's problems long ago if we just had our way and God's power. How does God put up with all the pain in the world, with all the injustice, all the violence, all the illness, all the poverty, all the racism, all the deception, all the incompetence, all this fruitlessness? Chop it down. We often grow impatient with God's ways, for God is patient. God is gracious. God is a God of forgiveness and forbearance, but we want results. We want it done and done yesterday. We want the instant gratification. We want our prayers answered now. When we become personally engaged with Jesus, which is what these parables are trying to do in our lives, that doesn't always mean action. Often it also means restraint. It means stopping doing, refraining from action. It requires us to learn to move according to God's ways. God's slow and patient and persistent and merciful ways patience and mercy that we're quick to receive and rejoice over when it comes to us, but slow to extend to others and the world. Again, that passage from 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Judgment and justice, the day of the Lord, will come. Everything will be disclosed and dealt with and put to right. But not according to our timeline. For now, God is waiting. And that waiting is not because God has better things to do. It's not because God really isn't that interested in this or perhaps has fallen asleep for a spell. God is not just sitting around. God is cultivating. God is coaxing us and the world into fruitfulness. God is digging and spreading manure. And if you know anything about manure, it's no quick fix. It's not a quick-release fertilizer that turns your grass green overnight. It is slow and messy. And it takes a long time to know if it's even doing anything. Can we learn that same patient, long-suffering grace for one another, for the world, and for God that God has given to us? Where are we called to restraint? to keep our mouths shut, to not send that email, to not share that Facebook post, to encourage instead of criticize and tear down, to give up de-neighboring words, let alone actual violence to get our way. 
What would it look like to spread some manure on one another, figuratively? And none of this is easy work. Following God into this kind of patience, active waiting and fertilizing is hard. It means practicing meekness, which means not demanding what we deserve and what is rightfully ours. It means practicing forgiveness, which means bearing the cost of someone else's sin against us. It means continuing to suffer ourselves under the weight of evil and injustice and oppression, spiritual, mental, and physical oppression while we wait. There's a reason we talk about God as being long-suffering. Because this is God's way. God is not happy to wait. There is great cost in waiting. There is great pain in allowing the suffering of the world to continue. And God's forbearance, which allows it to continue for now, means that God is swallowing the pain of that evil into himself, bearing that pain in the patient hope that more will come to repentance, that more will respond to God's manure and bear the fruit of God's kingdom. And that great cost to God is what brings us now into the deepest layer of this parable's meaning. So much of how we understand this parable has to do with who we assume is what in the story. It's easy to picture Jesus as that gracious gardener who urges patience and mercy, grace and love. Let it alone one more year. Let me fertilize it and coax it to fruitfulness. I think the way that the story is told also invites us to see Jesus as the owner of the fig tree and the vineyard. In his third year of ministry, coming to Jerusalem and finding the people still are fruitless, still are not bearing the fruit of God's kingdom, mercy, justice, peace. That Jesus loves justice, that it hurts Christ to see the sin and pain of this world and that he longs to finally set it all right. But as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem in just a few days after telling this story, he finds himself actually playing a different role in the parable. Jesus is often met all along the way in his ministry with violence from those who come to encounter him. The religious leaders of the day are convinced that he is wasting the soil's nutrients and his place planted in the vineyard. He's endangering the fragile peace with Rome, for one. He's a threat to their lucrative business of running the temple for another. He's getting in the way of their purposes, and so they want to get rid of him. Chop him down! They chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And as they hang him on that cross in just a few days' time, Jesus responds to their cries with another word from the manure story. Father, forgive them. It's obscured in English, but in Greek it's the same word. Forgive them. And let it alone one more year. Jesus again responds to the violence of the world, not with more violence of his own, 
but with grace and long-suffering mercy. And we realize there, watching Jesus hang on the tree, that he's not the fruitless one. We are. That he's the only one we've ever seen bear any decent fruit. And as he hangs there dying, he is still bearing fruit up to his final breath and his last words, offering grace in the face of our hatred and betrayal and violence. And then he dies. And they take his body down and lay it in a hole and cover him over. That's it, we think. And go about our lives. Now, it may take a while, but if you watch the ground where Jesus was dug in and buried, you'll begin to see something happen. You'll begin to see that Jesus is also the manure in this story. The compost, the death that brings about new life. That in dying, he goes down into the ground. He takes on himself all the pain, all the suffering, all the evil in the world and our lives, all that we bear while we wait. But because he takes it on willingly, because he surrenders to it, the endless cycle of violence begetting violence and evil begetting evil is finally broken and something new begins to grow. That new life is now strangely possible for us. And that as Christ is absorbed into our roots, taken up into ourselves, this strange new lifeblood, as it courses through our very selves, begins to even bear fruit. Good fruit. Fruit that will last, as Jesus promises in John 15. That Christ nurtures us with himself giving us his body and his blood that we eat and take into ourselves as food for our souls received through the Spirit to strengthen and sustain us, to sanctify and renew us from the inside out, and yes, to then send us out into the world to bear the kingdom's fruit, to live with patient endurance, to live in this way of following Jesus that is a long obedience in the same direction. To live with sacrificial grace and to become manure ourselves by dying to self, giving up our very lives to breathe life into the world around us. As we come to follow Jesus, we are called into action and there is urgency to the task before us but we're also called to wait. And as we wait, we wait in this hope. The hope of the gracious gardener who urges patient forbearance, mercy, and love. The hope of the owner and his justice that will come one day to set all things right in us and in the world. The hope of the one who hangs on the tree, dying for we who are fruitless and deserve to be cut down. And the hope of his manure, 
his sanctifying grace that is being absorbed up into us, working its way through our bones, nourishing us, enlivening us, and resurrecting us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. For that which we cannot earn or repay or exhaust. That though we have not borne your fruit, you are still committed to us and to our growth and our sanctification that you continue to give us yourself, to enliven us, to stretch out our branches and to bear your fruit. So Lord, we pray that we would give ourselves to that same work, commit ourselves to the transformation you are working within us and to then give ourselves for the life of the world around us in the same patient, long-suffering hope that brought you into this world. Lord, make us patient and give us, Lord, the will to give ourselves as you have given yourself. It's in your name, O Lord, that we pray. Amen.